Hi there. Welcome to the Build Business on JavaScript podcast. I've actually been looking forward to starting this podcast and I'm really excited to bring you the very first episode. And for this episode, we have Hassan. And um, how are you doing, Hassan? Hey, I'm doing good, Kelvin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking out the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. You've been phenomenal. You've been a big inspiration. I, I admire everything you do. So um, before we get started, of course, um, let's, I need you to introduce yourself. Um, so tell us who you are, what you've been doing, and just any information that you want to share. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. Um, my name is Hassan. I'm a uh, currently a senior developer advocate uh, at Vercel. So I help do quite a lot of things, just a bunch of uh, content. Uh, I do some community stuff, um, you know, help manage our, our Discord and help put on, you know, in-person meetups and conferences for, for Vercel. Uh, and then on the um, product side, I help, you know, a little bit with uh, with docs and, and building some templates. And really, that's what I have a lot of fun doing is the templates. And so I've been hacking on a lot of Vercel templates and just side projects in general, building stuff I find cool in the AI space. So it's kind of what I've been up to over the last uh, several months. Oh. That's awesome stuff. So yeah, I I know you work at Vercel, and so let's go back a little bit. Um, before Vercel, like, what was it like? Like, what is the origin story? You know, what is the origin story of Hassan and the web? <laughs> Wow, that's uh, quite the question. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I'll, I'll try to I'll try to go through things fairly quickly. Um, let's see, origin story. So I guess probably high school might be a good a good place to start. Um, I, I was always very into like business in general, uh, trying to make money on the internet somehow, and and so I, I tried to do that in high school with this game marketing business that I started. Um, basically, I had a lot of friends who were game developers and wanted to. Uh, essentially sell their game uh on like for 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 pcs like they spent a year building this game and they want to sell it and the way you sell games is by getting it on this platform called steam i don't know if you've heard of it um but it's yeah you have amazing yeah anybody really who's played games on their computer has, has heard of it but it's it's the go-to place where you go to download games that you play right so if you're a game developer you create a game you want to have it on there um but the process to get on there was very difficult and basically i started a business around that helping people get on steam and then helping people do do marketing for for their games so that's kind of how where, where i got my first taste of of business and um my first taste of business and startup life in general is just running that on the side in high school. And I started a YouTube channel around gaming as well and started making videos and falling in love with it. Um, and looking back, like a lot of this stuff was like, is like DevRel stuff, you know, like the marketing, the videos, the content, like I started kind of falling in love with that pretty early on in high school. Um, I ended up, you know, exiting out of that business later on uh, and then went to college. I did uh, electrical engineering for most of college, actually. It wasn't until my senior year that I kind of discovered CS and was like, oh, this coding thing looks really cool. Like, I love being able to go and, you know, previously for a business, like it, it takes a lot of time to set up. The game marketing business took me like several months to break into and really hard to build. And it, it was just like, it was a lot. Whereas with coding, I looked at it as something like, if I want to build 
anything I want, I can just go build it and start charging people for it and make money. And and I don't think the money was the primary purpose. I think it was mostly just like the fact that I can just build whatever I want. It was just mind blowing to me. So when I realized that, um, I ended up switching my major to computer engineering. I uh, took some CS classes, did some internships my senior year. Um, I I still remember applying. So I switched I switched majors to computer engineering my senior year. I had just started learning, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. What like in in this is like early 2020, so three three and a half years ago. Um, I just started learning it. I applied to my first React internship, and and I still remember that application. I uh, they gave me a take home to build this like little React app. Um, it was essentially you know formatting a list and adding like search and filtering and stuff like that. And it never worked with React before, but I got it, and they told me like, oh, you know, it should take you like three to four hours, and they gave me four days because it was like a holiday weekend, and I just spent like ten hours a day just like hammering, learning React talking to my friends, getting as much help as possible, and you know, barely scraped by and built this built this take home. I sent it back to them and, and ended up getting the job and it was really nice. It was like this three month internship that I did. Um, but that's kind of how it started. You know, fell in love with coding then in 2020, just did a, a, a bunch of internships, a bunch of side projects, uh, ended up graduating in 2021 and uh, ended up getting a DevRel job my first DevRel job was was at Fig, which is the small C stage company. I did that for a couple of months, and then uh, transitioned to Verstel, where I've been for almost two years now. Hmm. that's quite the origin story. It's it's the stuff of a Marvel, you know, comic. I really like the. <laughs> <laughs> so, I picked up on some things you said, like some keywords that I really like, because it seems as if you have this entrepreneurial mindset right from the beginning, and it's also a thing I have, which is I call the internet a permissionless space where anyone, anywhere with the right idea, you know, the right execution and the right need, right? You could literally build anything for anyone and you could make money. It, it, it's so fun and it's code, right? It, it, it's not as if it's something like, you know, you brick and mortar, it's code. But if it's valuable enough, you could make a lot of money. And um, so, yeah, I still want to go back before you... you you get to Vercel. We're gonna finish. Going to talk about Vercel. So, what skill set did? Because of course, not just code, right? Um, when you build a platform for your friends to send their games on Steam, you needed. I, 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 I think you need some other skills. So, what other skill set did you ha um, need to learn, or did you have that you would say like, yeah, it really made the building the platform for your friends that are gamers to sell their games on Steam. Yeah, so in terms of skills, I think like I kind of just learned on the go. I don't think you needed any hard skills to do that. I didn't actually build like a separate platform. It was mostly just a marketing thing to help people get their game on Steam. So the, the idea was to get your game on Steam, you had to get like 300 or 400 people to say that they would buy your game before Steam even considered putting it on their platform. So my thing was like, I needed to find 300 to 400 people to vote on my friend's games. And so I ended up starting a gaming community uh, on Steam. You can do these things, you can make these things called Steam groups. A lot of people don't know about them, but it's basically very similar to like a Facebook page. It's just a community of people when you can post and people can comment. And I did, um, I started a community around free game giveaways. I would contact, you know, people who already had their game on Steam and I would ask for some free copies of their game and I would give it away on my group. And it was kind of a win-win. You know, I'd, I'd give some games away so my, like, members were happy with me and my community was growing. And for the, the um, 
game developers that gave me the free copies of their game, they would get some more, some extra, you know, coverage and advertising for, for their game. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I, I did that. I just did that, built that community. And every day I would go and I would post a giveaway and I would add the winners and I would give them the game and I would reach out to more developers and I would moderate. So I'd spend like two hours every day for a good six months. Uh, just doing this over and over and over again, and, uh, and until we hit fifty thousand people after six months in in the community, um, and at that point, that's when I started to to do the the other side business. Basically, I would continue doing giveaways. I would do one giveaway a day, but at the bottom of the post, I would say, "Hey, my friend X is launching their game on Steam. Please go upvote." Um, and the people, you know, would a lot of people would go and upvote, and we would we would get their game on there. So that, that's kind of how how it started and. And it's uh, morphed into also like providing people like marketing plans once they got their game on Steam. Okay, like now, how do you sell it? How do you advertise it? Like, what holiday deals do you run? All, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Sounds fun. It, it it sounds really interesting. Um. So you you said you built the community up to fifty thousand members. That's a lot for any community that I've heard about. And you did this like being like the sole mod, right? Yeah, it was just me for the beginning, and then eventually oh. I hired a bunch of volunteer moderators, and mm -hmm. we expanded, acquired a few other communities, and actually we ended up with half a million people uh, after another year. Oh, wow, wow, wow. That is quite the feat there. I've always known you you are amazing because I've read a ton about you, and we've actually um, interacted a lot over the years, and it's really inspiring seeing the thing you did. Like, So this is it, right? Like, Not everyone would have the the mindset to like grow something for two hours for six months you've you know you literally just did it like is was it you said it wasn't all about the money right of course it wasn't but what was the drive really for you because that is discipline that is consistency and you were new to this stuff no one taught you how to do it so what gave you the drive to do that two hours every day for six months to actually grow it to like half a million right now yeah, that's a great question. Um, looking back, like I think it was just progress every day. Like every day, I'd see new people joining. People sending me messages saying, "Hey, man, like thank you for the giveaways. This is awesome." Like just seeing that I'm creating some value, um, or I'm adding some value to people's lives. I don't know if you consider that value, like giving people games like that. Like looking back, and that's actually why I left the business. Is like I didn't feel good about myself. You know, basically like helping people play more games and for for me that translates to like wasting more time and uh, you know, so i feel great about that after but while i was doing it, i was i was a, a a very heavy gamer myself i loved gaming and so for me the to get the chance to spread gaming to more people was like a super positive thing at the time mm -hmm. um so i just saw some some progress and some people actually benefiting from it and i was like you know what let me let me keep doing this and see where it goes yeah um i really love the fact that you did you are actually saying some keywords that I like, like you say progress. So, because oftentimes when we set goals like this, we, we tend to have, we tend to forget there's this gap between setting the goal and actually achieving the goal. See that distance you said is progress. And that's how I actually think, because you don't know how long it's going to be, because you didn't think you were ever going to get like half a million, like folks in the community. What gamers half a million really, but you just focus on the progress, right? I, it's really interesting. So why did you have a, an end goal? Like, okay, let me focus on, okay, once I hit, you know, let's say 50,000, like, 
do you think it would have been any different if you focus on like a set goal rather than making progress and giving value? Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, I, I tend to focus on on systems and like you said, progress over goals. I, I don't really have goals for the most part in most things that I do. Like even now, if you were to ask me, like, oh, what are your what's your what are your goals over the next year? Like right now, I would say just build as much cool shit as possible over the next mm -hmm. year. That's it. Literally, no expectations. That's it. I just want to build a lot of cool AI apps because that's what I'm into right now. You know, who who knows? In a year from now, I might be into something completely different. But like my yeah my goal is just to do as great of a job as possible in what i was doing and back then like when with with the gaming scene and everything my goal was just to grow as big of a community as i can i had no idea what it could reach and in like i thought 2000 was an amazing goal at the end you know what i mean like i i just I, you don't know what you don't know but if you do things consistently over a long period of time and it, when i say long period of time i mean like three to six months it's not really that long but most people don't stick with things um so if you do something consistently like it, it tends to pay off from what i've seen oh if you do something consistently it tends to pay off i'm gonna quote that thank you it, it's like you you're right on so many levels like um most people don't stick to things and it sort of feels unrealistic because, you know, you want this thing and you know it's really grand, but um, the input is not really all that. So maybe you'd be like, maybe in two weeks, I'm going to get X, but that, that's not right. We, we underestimate how long it's going to take to actually achieve anything and we actually blow out of, um, like, just blow it up and be like, you know what? I'm just going to do the littlest I can to actually get something. But for you, you are really focused on the progress. And I think you 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 live in a sweet spot where you tend to like zoom off the goals and the outcome and just focus on like you seize the moment. Like you, you have no goals, right? You just focus on now, you know, to do your best work right now. I think that's a great way to live, really. That's, a, that's awesome, my son. Thank you. Appreciate yes. that. Yeah, sure. it, it, it's just always been, yeah, that, that's always kind of been how I operate. Um, and a lot of the time it doesn't make financial sense to do so. Like it, like mm -hmm. if, if I was thinking back to this gaming community and growing it. So on top of growing it, I was actually also doing this thing called um, trading, like virtual items. Like So mm -hmm. if, if you play certain games on Steam, uh, there's a game called like Team Fortress 2 and you or CSGO and you get like virtual items in the game and you can trade them back and forth. Um, so that's something that I was doing as I was trying to trade an item for another item that was worth more and make some money doing that. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. And I, I made like, I probably made like 20 cents an hour doing it, but I did it for like an hour a day for like a year. And, you know, eventually I, I didn't know it, but eventually at the end of the year, I was, I was started to make some, some like real money by then. But for the first like six months, nine months, like I got almost no return out of it. Um, but it, but it was just like. Yeah, I, I think like if you find something and you enjoy doing it and you see that like, okay, this could lead to something down the line, um, then then it might be worth to, to consider like doing it consistently uh, for, for a period of time and, and seeing if, if it makes a difference. Mm, yeah, definitely. For a period of time should be the emphasis. And um, there's this thing I just always say, you know, um, if like it doesn't matter if you put in the time or not, like the time is still gonna pass. So if you be like, oh, two years is too much to put on this stuff, it, it's not gonna be like, okay, yes, let's pause two years. Okay, it's still gonna come, right? It's still gonna... So the only difference is 
you would have never done anything if you'd be like no two years is too long or six months is too long but if you do it there's just too much upside and just i don't know not too much of the downside because you've learned you grow you definitely you you're gonna have a lot of experience it's just gonna be like it's too much upside of like what if they succeed then let me just think that this time is just too much to give to this stuff awesome stuff so i have a question and before we get into it so let's let's talk about the money like in the ballpark you don't have to get most um specific but you already so you were like a gaming community manager that marketer like i don't know like i don't want to there's no term i have in my head to call that but how how much of this was you know let's put unquote paying the bills for you yeah um so over the first year i made almost nothing because i was just growing the communities and i was establishing myself um so I ran, I ran this business for probably like two and a half years, I would say, maybe three years. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first year I made nothing. The second year I made like $10,000 maybe. And, and the third year I made like maybe 15,000. Uh, and then I ended up selling the business for about 20,000 after. Oh. Um, so not a life-changing amount of money, but I was running it on the side. I was a high school student. Um, and so it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to make a, a, a ton of money from it, uh, but it was, um, yeah, I look at it more as like a really good experience that taught me a lot about marketing, taught me a lot about running my own thing, managing people, um, all of that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think the skills that I got through that are way more valuable than the like 30K maybe I made like overall in, in the business. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Like, like, as a, you know, like a, like you were in school, right? So that might not be like, you know, big money in quote, but it was like, thinking about the value you were having fun you were learning and also you were making money from it like anytime someone pays for any of my stuff online even if like maybe like a couple of dollars that feeling is just it's it's big because someone across the internet you've never met trust you enough have value enough to pay you for it no it just blows my mind every time so that's really good that's some cool cool figures right there so now let's move on from you being the gamer community manager to learning how to code enough to get your first job in look you had an internship then you, you got your first job in fig and now you're so so let's start from the job at fig what got you there you know all the orchestration of i know network people skill how did you get to fig and first of all maybe tell us what's fig for example so we we have context yeah so fig is a terminal autocomplete uh tool so you know you go to your terminal you want to cd into a directory you can type like c and then you'll you'll see something that autocompletes for you um that's essentially what what fig is i think they've you know i haven't worked there in like two years and i think they've yeah. been working on some new stuff lately but that, that's what it was when i was there mm -hmm. um so the the job at fig actually they dm me on twitter so mm -hmm. they saw that i so i basically like when i started to code in in 2020 i i followed this um this methodology from uh this guy that i know on twitter uh swix he goes by sean wang um and he has this idea called learning in public which is the idea that when you learn something you should go and tweet about it or write a blog post about it or make a video about it right so the idea that you whatever you learn you should teach 
because that helps you internalize the content better. And when you help educate other people, you help attract other similar minded people. Uh, so you help kind of build your own community and, and make friends. And it's just kind of like a net positive. Even, even if nobody reads your stuff, it's still a net positive because you're, you're writing down what you're learning and you're, you're learning it better. Um, so I kind of like, I, uh, I read that and I really took it to heart. And that's what I did a lot in, in 2020 and 2021 is whatever I would learn, I would try to, to tweet about it or write a, a small blog post about it. Um, and so I, I used uh, Twitter a lot for that, a lot of tweet threads. And, you know, if I learned something new, I try to build a little side project and make it open source and tag all the technologies that I used and post it on Twitter. So um, Fig saw that I was doing that and they actually DM me. So uh, and they were like, hey, we think you'd be a good fit for this uh, DevRel job we're hiring for. And I was like, what the hell is DevRel? Uh, and then they they kind of explained it to me and I uh, looked into the job and I ended up interviewing for the job. And um, yeah, I ended up getting it and working there for a little bit. That's really interesting. Like they DMing you, it's, it's, it's so like building in public, I think it's just one way to like have this ever living resume because everyone in the world like on twitter or or anywhere you're sharing it get to see what you're doing actively right so how did that really make you feel like like to not have to go through an interview you know you didn't have to do anything you actually dm to hey come work for us because we've seen you outstanding um it felt great so to be clear i did go through an interview Mm -hmm. um but it still did feel great to get recognized and for them to be so willing to uh talk to me because of you know my prior work which i think is is uh very common in devrel specifically um i mean not maybe not so much as, as a software engineer you probably still have to go through technical interviews and stuff like that um but for devrel interviews they're typically a lot um what's it called a lot less intense especially if you have like an existing body of work mm -hmm. um like if a new company wanted to hire me right now, they probably don't really have to talk to me too much. Like they can, I can send them my YouTube channel. I can send them my tweets. I can send them my blog posts. I can send them like examples of conferences and stuff I've done it for sale. And they can kind of, you can, you just kind of know based on all of that stuff, if it's a good fit or not. Um, but um, yeah, the fact that they were able to, to look at my previous work and say, yeah, like, we think you're interesting. We want to talk to you. And, you know, I talked to them and I did the interview and, and things worked out at the end. But yeah, it, it felt great. Yeah, it's it's really, really amazing. Um, so while you were at Fig, were you still dabbling on anything on the side, you know, since you are a builder at heart? No. I didn't do anything on the side when I was at Fig. It was okay. a very intense period. Um, I actually, so I, I moved cross country to to work there because they worked in person in San Francisco, and mm -hmm. I uh, and I lived in Philadelphia, which is the opposite side of the U.S. So I had to move over there and work in person, and we worked pretty long hours. We would oh. usually have uh, lunch and dinner at the office. Um, so I, I'd be there all day and I didn't get back home till like 9 PM most nights. And I was pretty tired. And, um, I, I, I remember like doing this course, doing this course on rust while I was working there, uh, some nights when I felt like it, but overall I was, uh, it was a lot of work and I was mostly just fo focused on fake for, uh, but I only, yeah, I only worked for them for, for two months. No, oh, interesting. So f for that, um, two months, it, because you just mentioned their long hours, so I, I like I think it's really 
intense and highly focused so you didn't have time to dabble on anything on the side but what um skill sets were you actually growing at that time like uh if you look back at your days at fake like what would you say yo like i really harnessed or grew this skill set at fake yeah that's a great question um really at fake i mean i was the only devrel it was a you know, super tiny company four people right and i'm the only devrel there and i'm trying to figure out what what the best thing is to do um so really like i got to work on crazy amount of things i was there for exactly seven weeks and i just mm -hmm. got to work on so many different things i like uh manage their discord and i ended up like uh understanding how to grow Discord. i mean I've, I've done it in the gaming space but to be able to do it in the developer space and figure out what works and what doesn't work was was really nice to experiment with so i learned how to grow uh discords and so i ended up growing their discord from i think a thousand people to two thousand people um i got involved in their developer twitter and i and i ran it and i understanding more about how like how Twitter works in the developer world and the dev tools world and how to grow a Twitter company account. Um, so I, I went, I did that and I ended up growing their Twitter from like 3000 to I think like 5,000 followers while I was there. Um, I ended up like redesigning and implementing like a web app that they had in React and TypeScript. So I, I learned a lot about that. Um, they're a terminal company. So a lot of, did a lot of CLI stuff as well. Wrote a lot of like CLI scripts and, and parsers and Python. And so that was cool. Um, I revamped their entire documentation. So I got to do a deep dive on how docs work in general in the, in the dev tool space and the different ways you can organize your docs. And um, so I, I ended up doing that, ended up writing some guides for them and doing some weekly live streams. So just getting into that piece of things. And then, and then a lot of code, you know, thousands of lines of JavaScript that I contributed to their open source project, which is awesome because I can cite it. I can be like, hey, go to, go to Fix mm. Repo, search by commit author, and you'll see that I contributed like, like, yeah, thousands and thousands of lines and dozens of PRs um, and tons of PR reviews, actually. So getting into the open source world and learning how that works. Um, mm. So I'm really thankful of my time there, you know, even though it didn't last long. It was seven weeks. It was long hours, but I learned a, a ton and got to dabble in a lot of different areas in, in DevRel. Mm. Sounds like quite the journey, because even though it wasn't that long, it seemed as, as well as you also did quite a lot really in seven weeks like that's a lot you know you're working on dogs you're working on you handling twitter working on discord getting folks going you learned a lot of terminal skills i like the terminal so so that sounds like fun and of course you had to do react and typescript hmm react so it's probably a good segue to the journey to Vercel, huh yeah yeah let's do it yeah so, so um mm -hmm. go ahead yeah so i'm curious really because so this is so this is journey so far what you've, you've shared right from the steam games right so internships then the, the seven weeks at fig and Vercel, because Vercel in the dev world there's this big company really big into developer tools you know infrastructure you know we have the Vercel, we have next it's just a whole lot. How did you land that? Like, how did you get there? Yeah, so um, Fig actually laid me off. Um, so that's why my time there was cut short. Um, they, uh, yeah, anyway, it didn't it didn't work out there. Um, they, I think they were, they, they wanted something else in, in their DevRel, uh, essentially. So I, so I got laid off and essentially I just started doing a bunch of interviews and I think I did like 
20 interviews in the span of like two weeks from, from a ton of different companies. And what's really nice about um, Fig and like all the work that I did there was that it was still quite a lot. You know, even though I only spent seven weeks, I was still able to write a lot on my resume. Um, and the, for the people that I spoke to, I was like, yeah, you know, I doubled the growth of the Discord. I doubled the growth of their Twitter and I could, did this many PRs and I did like, so I was able to show a lot of proof of work, which was really beneficial for me in getting that next job. So I, I did the interviews. I ended up getting a bunch of different offers. Um, huge shout out to Stephen Tay from Bursell who, who referred me. Um, cause I originally applied actually for like a solutions architect role at Bursell cause they didn't have a dev role role open. And then, uh, Steven, I talked to Steven and he was like, yeah, like, like, and, um, he, he was like, let me check with the team to see if we're hiring. And he ended up checking and, and Lee ended up hiring me. So, um, yeah, basically just used that, those seven weeks at, at fig. And I wrote this, this one page cover letter that I would just DM to a ton of CEOs on, on Twitter. Um, and uh, I got a lot of responses from that and got a lot of interviews scheduled and ended up getting uh, about four or five different offers. And Vercel was one of those. And, you know, when I got the offer from Vercel, I was like, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> well, I want to work here. So, yeah. Yep, definitely a no-brainer. That's amazing. You know, it's like I've always said I value quality over quantity. And in your case, it feels as if the, the quality of the work you did at Fig was like you know full to get you to Vucell because even in seven weeks you did quite a lot and it was so impressive you got like a referral like even if they they weren't hiring for Devrel you actually got the role it's it's amazing and I know you've grown you know because I've seen you've moved from just a developer advocate like to a senior developer advocate I don't even know what that means yet so you're definitely going to tell us what, what does a senior developer advocate do but um before then right so how like what was your mindset working at um Vassell, starting out as a developer advocate there right like what like what was your mindset in the context of being like a builder that you are because you 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 didn't build anything much at fig for yourself like on the side right because of the long hours and the short time but at Vassell, we do know I know you've been building quite a lot. So what was the mindset and what was the approach to do your job at Vercel and also build the stuff you're building? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um even though I didn't build a lot at Fig, I, I was um I think I was still able to contribute a lot to their open source repo. And so I used that as like um justification for like, hey, I'm a good builder because I've done this. Um, and also before I joined Fig in college, I was hacking on a bunch of side projects. So I, I at least had, you know, a portfolio of content, of, of um, side projects and proven open source work that I could show people and be like, hey, like, I know how to write code. Here's the proof, you know? And uh, that was kind of the cover letter that I did. That's kind of how I structured it. I was like, hey, here, like, here's the, I can actually share my screen and show it to you if you want. I don't know if we can do that in the in the podcast yeah, format, but mm, mm. that probably won't show up. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. We can, so, uh, <laughs> I can move on. Yeah. So I, I think you could share it with me and I could maybe add it to the newsletter and also, I don't know, do something with it, but that would be fun to see. Basically. Yeah. For that cover letter, like I said, I, I could still show that like, Hey, I've done, um, 
a good amount of work in, in coding. Like I know how to code and I was like, okay, I know how to do community because I did some community stuff at fig. And, and then I cited my like, you know, marketing background with the, the game marketing company. And then I was like, okay, I can do content creation as well. Cause I did, you know, some YouTube, some videos and some Twitter threads and podcasts and live streams. And so I was able to cite all of that. So to me, like I was just giving all the jobs I applied for this, like template of like, Hey, I can code, I can do content. I can do community. Like you should hire me because I'm good at all these, all these things. And, and I think that's why that, that's what contributed to getting like a good amount of interviews and getting a lot of responses from these people on Twitter. Like I would DM like ha the HashiCorp CEO. That's like a $7 billion company. And the CEO responded to me within a couple of days, they didn't have a DevRel position open, but he said, Hey, I'm going to refer you to our head of DevRel. Like you, I'm going to get you an interview. Um, mm. and, and it was like, yeah, I, I think if you have, I, I think that's a big piece Daryl, on if you have proven, like, if you can demonstrate your skills in a proven way, um, you, you can go really far. You can get interviews uh, in, in a lot of different places. Um, mm. That was a bit of a tangent. I don't think that, that answered your original question, yeah, but I, I can get it. into the, the, the Vercel stuff now. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Cool. Um, so your, your question... Yeah, like, what was the mindset for you to build, and how do you fuse that with your job at Vercel to actually excel? Because we know, okay, I know you're doing really well. The uh, the listeners or the watchers, they're gonna know very soon how all the stuff you're building. But I really want to know the mindset. Like, was it intentional, or did you just happen to like you know build all this stuff that we're gonna talk about while you're at Vercel? Yeah, great question. Great question. So when I first joined Vercel, um, I only focused on work at Vercel. So primarily that was community stuff that was revamping our discord that was um, helping run our next conf or speaker track. Like I exclusively focused on Vercel work for a while until I was, I think, like pretty like comfortable in my job and pretty comfortable with my responsibilities. That's when I started. Um, that's basically when I when I started being like, OK, like I want to start. I want to start building some stuff on the side, right? Like I'm getting this itch to build and I, ha I hadn't coded in a, in a while. And um, yeah, that's kind of what reinvigorated that. Like, hey, let me let me try to build some stuff. And um, I did that a little bit in my first year, um, built a couple projects, nothing too impressive, just like very small React projects. Um, and they didn't get that much attention. So I was just like, yeah, it's it's fine. Like I'll, I'll just keep, keep building it. Um, but really I think what... Uh, what made it take off is like the AI boom. Well, prior to the AI boom, I was I was just doing a project every few months, you know, just for fun, just on weekends. You know, I'm I'm at the point in my life right now where, you know, I'm relatively young, I'm single. I actually still live at home with my parents. I moved back in with my parents. So I'm like, I have home cooked meals, I mm. have laundry done. You know what I mean? I literally have I have negative responsibilities. I have all I'm in the world. And so I'm like, okay, this is the time in my life where I should probably work hard for my career and set myself up well for, for the future, for when I do, you know, have responsibility and get married and all that stuff. I can, you know, spend mm. time with my wife and future kids and all, all that kind of stuff. But for now, I'm like, my mentality is like, I have a crap ton of free time and I want to use it. And I want to, I want to code and I want to be like, I, I know I said I didn't have goals, but like, I have very lofty goals of like, my mindset is like, I want to be the best engineer in the world. Right, mm. and that's obviously that's that's very corny and not very I like, like it, uh, not very achievable technically. But like that's my mindset. You know, I want to be I want to be the best. I want to be able to build a full stack application in like three hours. Like why why can't I do that? 
You know what I mean? If I build a hundred of them, I should be able to do that. And so that's my goal. I'm going to build a hundred of them. You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, I'm just going to, I, it's just, it's just something I care about so, so much. I feel like that's the most important skill to have for me personally. I'm not prescribing this to the audience, but like for me personally, the most important skill I can have right now is to be the best engineer I can. Why? Because that just sets me up for so many things. It makes me makes me better in my current job. It sets me up to be better in future jobs. Um, if like 10 years, in five years from now, let's say I just want to be an engineer. I don't want to be a devil anymore. I can do that if I'm a really good engineer. I could, if I want to be a founder in the future, I need to build my own stuff. If I'm a good engineer, I can build MVP. You know what I mean? So, so to me, being a good engineer translates to success in the future, no matter what I do. So that's, that's what I'm optimizing for right now. And that's kind of what I started thinking about like maybe six months into Vercel, I was like, okay, I'm feeling good about my job, but now I want to start building stuff on the side. I want to start being a better engineer. So I started asking for more coding projects at, at Vercel, uh, which has been really fun. So I've been able to work on a lot of uh, stuff for our Next.js conference last year. I worked on a registration site for the people that came in in person. I worked on like this dashboard. I worked on... Um, uh, just just a, the, an image gallery template. So I, I've just worked on a bunch of, I've tried to take engineering work at Vercel as much as I can. And then in my own projects, just been hacking on side projects. So that's kind of the, the mentality that started it. Mm. I love that mindset, you know, being the best engineer in the world because it's so, I said that um, folks should focus on their competence and not the status. And I think it's also actually, um, translates to what you, you're saying because you your focus is to be the best engineer you can be and that's actually focusing on what you can control right because you can't control who's going to hire you or if you're going to build like a startup in the future or whatever but for right now you're going to do the, the thing which you can you can actually have control over which is being the best version of yourself as an engineer and you're doing pretty well my friend i saw this article you know i like i read it's a ton of your articles uh, by the way I'm not stalking. I just read a lot of you. So, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. So this one is really, really cool. Two side projects in one week. We're going to get to all your AI doings. But for now, let's talk about this one. Like, how, how do you do two side projects in one week? I can't manage doing one in six months. But how? <laughs> Please. What's the secret? Fair enough. So um, let me tell you my secret. Uh, so basically, the way I work is very weird, but um, I tend to work very intensely for a week and then do almost no work for a couple weeks. So for a week, I'll like every day outside of work, I'll spend like two hours coding. And on the weekends, I'll spend like you know, 10 hours on Saturday, 10 hours on Sunday. You know, so I'll just be like literally coding the full week, 24 seven. And then, and then the next two weeks, I'll just take a break. You know, after work, I'll just watch Netflix. I'll hang out with my friends on the weekend. I'll just binge some Netflix show. I'll just walk around, play basketball, you know, do nothing. I won't, I won't touch coding for like two weeks after that. Um, and so that's kind of been how I code where I'll do one project. Sometimes I can fit in two side projects in a single week if they're really small. In that case, I'm, I think, um, I don't even, I remember the article you're referring to. I don't remember what two side projects I talked about, but um, I think they were both very small side projects. So I was able to fit them in within like, because if you, if you add up all the hours, like that's 10 hours on Saturday, 10 hours on Sunday, two hours after work every day, that's like 30 hours of coding um, that, that I did. But yeah, that, I'm pretty sure after that week, I didn't, I didn't touch any coding for another two weeks. And then, um, and then I probably went back and worked really intensely on something, but I, I'm very, um, 
uh, it's just very like intensity driven. It's very like when I have an idea, I just want to do it. And so I'm mm. just going to spend the next five days just grinding and finishing it. But then I'm going to finish it and I'm going to feel a little tired and burnt out because I spent, you know, all of my free time coding. Mm. So I'll take a break for a couple of weeks. And then if I, and then I get another idea and then I, I kind of do the same thing and rinse and repeat. Um, yeah, mm. but that's kind of just how it works. I don't know that I'd necessarily recommend that. I'm actually trying to transition into more, into being more consistent and like not putting in 10 hours on Saturday, 10 hours on Sunday, doing something manageable that I can probably do like every weekend. Mm. I think I'm going to, because I currently have a bunch of side projects that need my attention for like the ball in JavaScript stack. I have to build a couple of templates of that one. I have to build some stuff for sales. And I think I like your flow because you, you could tell your mind like, okay, let's go for this week you know that the next two weeks you're just going to be all fun and games and rest so i think it makes it bearable knowing that this is not going to be for a long stretch it's for a week uh, like you said two hours every day then maybe like 10 hours on sunday on saturday and sunday that is you're intense i like it <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's you know, yeah. you know like greatness is, isn't easy um it's not going to be rosy there's going to be like the grind the hustle the hard work because that's what sets you apart like when you announce the ai tools we're going to get to those so the project i'm talking about are dev2 angels and uh, tailwind color picker yeah mm. yeah this is what it's this is the projects i'm talking about really cool I, I love tailwind by the way so i loved it um so yeah the, the grind is needed right like you know we hear a lot about work-life balance not that anything is bad but realistically there's gonna be a grind at one point it it's it depends on how fast you want it and how hard you want to go to like actually give out quality and value you are definitely going to get in the grind and for you like you can actually ease it off but at the moment you actually paid the price for like the hours like 30 hours of getting stuff done and that was amazing that's really really good um thank so you yeah. i appreciate that yeah for sure definitely like you, i said you can mm -hmm. kind of you can kind of ride the wave of the success too. Like if, if I right. look at my life now, honestly, the last two to three months, I've like, haven't done much coding at all. Like I've, I've been hacking on, on a little side project for a while, but really the last major thing I released is, um, this project called room GPT. And I did that maybe four months ago. So really like, I still get like every week, like people like DMing me and questions of like, Oh, like how can I build so many projects and how can I do this? And how can I do that? And I'm just like, I haven't even touched coding in, in a few months, you know, and I can, you can still write off that success because I did work really hard for a few weeks this year, right? Mm -hmm. Like really hard in January where I released like two big AI projects and then uh, really hard, like a few months after to release room GPT. And, and, um, so even though, yeah, so anyway, like that, that, that's kind of paid off and it's been nice yeah. to kind of ride that, that success wave for a little bit. Mm, definitely. It's, and it makes sense, right? Because it actually wouldn't be plausible if it like it doesn't give you a long-term leverage like for you to put in all that work that just stops because that's a cool thing to build on the web like you put in the hard work and you could literally have successes that will keep up keep on coming to you even years down the line right like if you want to work at an ai company for example you you you're already good to go right because you have projects already there so it, it's really cool stuff so speaking about ai um i haven't played much with you know building on it but you 
my friend, you've been on the roll, you know, the Comet AI, right? I think Comet AI, the Room GPT, the, but I think you started off with Restore Photos. So t- tell us the backstory. What was the inspiration? I know you have an article on it, but what was the inspiration for the project? Like, was it like, well, I need an AI project to build right now? Or you have this need and AI was like the fit to solve it? Yeah, great question. Um, so that was actually my second project. That, that was my first real project, I would say. The, the, okay. the first thing I did in AI was actually this um, alt text generator that I built. Um, essentially, we did uh, our, so we, we have a yearly conference uh, at Purcell called NextJSConf, and we did that, and we had an in-person component, so we had a bunch of photos to share. Um, so I was tasked with building an image gallery. Um, like just a really fast Next.js on Vercel image gallery that will also open source the code and make it a template. And it's actually been really nice to, to see other people use it as well. I think React Miami conference and the, and the Tailwind uh, meetup, like a, a bunch of folks have been using it, which has been great. Um, but I was tasked on building that so, I, so we can show out the, the pictures for Next.js conf. So I built it and you know got it reviewed and it looked good. And just before we posted, um, our um, Guillermo, our Vercel CEO, he hopped in and he was like, hey, none of the images have alt tags on them. And you know, that's not good for like accessibility purposes. Um, so, but but then I was like, oh my God, like that's, there's like 500 pictures in there. Like, does he want me to go through every single one and add an alt tag? Like that's way too much work. I was like, you know what? Like I've seen, I saw stable diffusion. And so that like takes text and generates images. I wonder if there's like a machine learning API that can take an image and like generate some alt text for it. So um, I went and I, and I Googled it and I found, um, uh, replicate.com, which is this this place that basically hosts a lot of these machine learning uh, models as an API. You can kind of just send them an API and use whatever model you want, which is really nice. Um, I'm a huge fan of Replicate. I use them for for most of my projects. Um, but I, I found an API that did exactly that, that like takes in an image and gives back an, an, uh, a description of the image. So that was really cool to see. So I basically went and, and uh, used that API and I generated all tag alt tag text for every single one of those like 500-ish images. And I reviewed them obviously because they were done by AI and I wanted to make sure that they were right. But there was like two of them maybe that were wrong out of like 500. Mm. So I was like, amazing, this is great. I open sourced that project. I called it the old text generator. And that was kind of my first like foray into AI. Um, and I really like, you know, really recognized the value right away. I mean, this thing saved me like hours and hours and hours of time of having to go through photos individually and add a description. Um, so yeah, with with the restore photos one that you mentioned, uh, the inspiration for that came behind um, our CEO. It's <laughs> like a recurring theme. So our CEO tweeted about this other project um, that did something very similar. You upload an image and it unblurs it for you. Um, he tweeted about it and he was like, oh my God, look at this amazing AI project. Uh, and then I went and I looked at it and it was really slow. It took like two minutes to get your photo. You had to pay right away to use it. Uh, and I just didn't like it. I didn't like the interface. And I was like, you know what? I can build a better one. So I went and I and I used that as in, as inspiration. I mean, also my, my parents actually sent me some photos of when I was a kid and they were a little bit blurry. So I was like already thinking about the problem. So when I saw somebody do it, 
um, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't think they did it that well. I was like, okay, I'm going to go build a better one. So mm -hmm. I, I just went and I built something that had a nice user interface and I made it free and open source and replicate. Uh, thankfully we're, we're willing to sponsor the project, which is awesome because running this, this, this AI stuff is, is just generally very expensive. So it's very hard to do a free tier or have things for free. Um, but my strategy was just to, to open source it and have replicate pay and replicate, you know, gets value out of it because the, the repo is open source. It has thousands of stars. Whoever uses the repo has to create a replicate account because they need like a replicate environment variable. Um, so they're benefiting from new user signups. I'm benefiting from a site that's completely free that a bunch of people use. Um, yeah. And so that was kind of my first project that, I, that ended up like going viral and getting about like half a million people to use it. Um, and there's still like, you know, 50, 50,000 people that use it every month. Amazing. Wow. So it's, it's mostly see a need and feel the need and using code and AI to do that. I really love the Ortex. I wonder why I never saw that one, hmm. but I just checked now on for sales templates and it's there. That's really amazing because you know, it's, that's the beauty of code, right? Like you could literally just solve a real world problem with code. And now with AI is just a thousand X, everything you were able to do. It's amazing. And the restore photo one that blew my mind really, because it's the idea is kind of simple, right? But the execution of it was superb. And you have this flair of how to really, you know, tell, tell the world about the stuff you build, right? Like, you know how to do it. It gets a lot of buzz around it. And for good reason, because it's great. And it, it, it's good. It, the, the returns is just a lot, right? Because now you get Replicate to sponsor the project. You have open source code that people will use it. It's, too mu it's just a great deal. And I love it. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about your latest project of the one you 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 did last four months, Room GPT. Genesis story origin. Let's let's start from there. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. Um, so Room GPT. It came out of um. Have you have you seen Interior AI? By oh. Levels IO or by Peter Levels? Yes, I have. Yes. So yeah, basically I saw, I saw this guy, Peter Levels, amazing indie hacker on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Check him out if, if you haven't, but he, he has this project called interior AI and it's essentially the same idea. Like you upload a picture of a room and it generates that room for you in different themes. Mm -hmm. um, he, his was using stable diffusion uh, as the model and uh, it didn't do very well. Like the results, I wasn't happy with the results. I went and I tried it on my own room and the output image didn't look uh, similar to my input uh, image, which makes sense because stable uh, stable diffusion isn't really built for that kind of stuff. Um, so basically, you know, I had it in the back of my mind that like, oh, maybe I want to build an idea like this, but but I was like, uh, I mean, it doesn't work great. You know what I mean? That, that was the biggest thing that was stopping me. I was like, I, I, I stable diffusion is the best thing out there and it, it's, it's not going to work great. So I waited basically until a new API came out called ControlNet. And ControlNet is is similar. It's built on top of Stable Diffusion. It's basically this this tool to generate images for you. Um, but what's cool about ControlNet is it keeps the structure of the input image the same. So if you give it a room and you send it a prompt that says, "Hey, can you generate this room in like a tropical theme?" It'll the new room that it generates will look 
identical to your original room. Like the structure, the walls, like everything will stay, which is perfect. Like that's what you want to happen. Uh, to happen. And so when I saw that API being released, and and, and that's the beauty uh, uh, about AI, honestly, is is we get these amazingly smart people that have PhDs and decades of experience going and building these models and then open sourcing them. And then I can just use them as an API. It's like so easy for, for just a general app developers like ourselves to use and consume these APIs. And so, um, that's what I did. I just essentially built, um, uh, room GPT based on off of that new API. I DM'd Peter and I was like, hey man, you should probably switch to control net because it's a lot better. And he actually switched to it after a couple of days. Um, but I, I launched mine and uh, it gained a, a lot of buzz. I was, mm. you know, <laughs> definitely surprised at, at um, you know, the the number of people that, that ended up using it. But that's, that, that's kind of the origin story. That's an amazing origin story as usual. Um... I see RoomGPT has over, what, a million users? Like, it's just four months old, right? Yeah, it's four months old. Uh, it has um, it has 1.9 million users, 1.9 oh, million people that's... that have created accounts. Um, so it's it's been a little it's... bit crazy, honestly. Like, I, I did not expect any of this. Uh, I launched it, and I was like, you know what? Like, probably a few thousand people will, will use it. And... Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to say that. Like, I know that, like, at least a few thousand people will use my projects because I, I do have an audience on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm very, like, uh, privileged in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, it just it just blew up everywhere, you know? It, it went viral on Twitter, but, but Twitter, honestly, is a pretty small social media compared to other ones. Like, I started seeing these LinkedIn influencers post about it, and then this guy made an Instagram reel about it that got 3 million views, and then... This random like TikToker made a video about it that got six million views, and so that just drove like a hundred k signups like within hours. The, the mm. six million view TikTok, and and so it just like kept going viral on these social medias. Some mainstream news picked it up actually, like Yahoo News and Business Insider wrote articles about it, and um, yeah, it just became this this really big thing. Actually, in my first week, uh, I had about uh, half a million people that used it. And, uh, and, and it's actually pretty expensive to run. So it, initially I launched it as like a general, like free, like basically everything I do is free and open source. I launched it and I was like, eh, it's fine. Like I'm going to ask replicate to, to sponsor some of the cost. Um, but in my first week, like I blew past like $5,000. Um, I got like a $5,000 bill from replicate and I was like, crap, like I can't pay this. This thing is free. I'm not collecting money from anybody. Uh, I didn't even have accounts at that point. People would just go and use it. And I was rate limiting like based on people's IP addresses. Um, but I got that $5,000 bill and I went to replicate and I was like, hey, can you guys like help with this? And they were like, yeah, it's okay. We'll pay it. Uh, mm. And they're like absolutely amazing for doing that. So they go and they pay it. And then the next week I get another bill of like thousands of dollars. And I'm like, okay, like this is like not sustainable. I can't ask Replicate to pay off thousands of dollars every week. Like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so I have to figure out some way to, to stop this much usage. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to create accounts. I'm going to make people create accounts. And so I added, you know, authentication to the project uh, and it did nothing. Literally the usage was exactly the same. Everybody who wanted to use it just created an account. People didn't care. Uh, so I was like, crap, what do I do? Uh, and I was talking to my boss from, um, I was talking to like my manager and my VP at Vercel, and I was just like, you know, what do I do to this project? Like, I, I like, I feel like I need to like shut it down or like do like a bring your own key or people put in the replicate keys to use it or like something like that because it's just it's it's stressing me out too much with all this money. Um, and he was like, you know what? You should charge for it. 
And I was like, wait, really? Like, he's like, yeah, like just put like a Stripe link on there. Um, and so this is the first time I've, I've ever charged for one of my side projects. You know, I, I don't, I don't do them to make money. I do them because I enjoy building. Um, but I literally had to charge for this one to, to stop the usage. So, um, I restricted the free tier, um, uh, cause originally it was, you would get five, you could upload five runes every single day. Um, so people would come and just use up a, t a ton of credits every single day. And then I changed it to, you can only use, you can only upload three rooms and then you have to pay after that. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, I added a pay tier and then the usage really like started to calm down after that. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, that's kind of what's been happening with it. Wow. <laughs> that's just amazing. You know, you, like you were expected thousands of users, you had millions and it sort of went viral, right? And that's that moment where you've built something so good that you have this unpaid marketers that are really enthusiastic about what you're doing it's just gold right like it, it you 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 can't buy that really like because of course it's it's they're talking about it because they love it and they see the value in it and you've already executed right you've done your bit and now the the universe so to speak is just Helping you share the good value that you've you've made, and you made accounts. It didn't stop nobody. I'm just gonna create an account. You can't keep me out of it. I like it so much. And then you are actually billing for it, which is actually a great idea because, of course, AI is expensive. These models they're gonna run on some servers. It's gonna be compute time. You have to pay for them. Wow, that's amazing. Like I'm, I've always been inspired by you, and you know it already. I'm. All these projects, they're just amazing. And really, thank you for all you do. You, you're a builder. I love it. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and, and the what you said about um, you know this stuff needing to run on servers and you have to pay server compute time, um, that's, even, that's even more intense for AI applications because these things, they, they can't run on traditional servers. They have mm. to run on GPUs. And GPUs yeah. are extremely expensive, extremely expensive. They're like, like if 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 I could run Rune GPT off of a server, like I would just, you know, I I would just make it free forever. Like I could pay, I could pay that. It would only cost me probably like a few hundred dollars a, a a month or something like that. But it runs on a GPU, so literally every single time that API is hit, it needs to run for like nine seconds on an A100 GPU, which costs uh, about one point five cents for one API call. Um, so you yeah, can imagine millions of people yeah. using it is, you know, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of dollars, uh, easily. So, um, yeah. And, and I think honestly, that's part of my like competitive advantage with a lot of these apps. Number one, I make them open source. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people make this stuff open source because they, they want to make money off of it, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of this is new technology. People will pay for this. People, a lot of people will pay for this. Um, yeah. So a lot of people don't make them at open source. So I think that's like one thing I have going for me is like the open source. And the other thing is I always try to make it free. Um, or at least if I can't, I'll, I'll have a free tier that people can use. Um, and so that also gets very expensive uh, because of, of that reason. So I think like I almost do things that can't scale and then I mm -hmm. hit problems and then I try to solve the problems. Instead of thinking in the beginning like, like, oh, like maybe what if like a hundred thousand people use my, my project, like I might go down, I might get blocked. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just think of like, I'm going to make it free and open source, no matter what, I'm going to try to figure it out. If I end up with a $5,000 bill, like whatever, I'll try to get it paid off. And so mm -hmm. far, thankfully it's worked out. I haven't had to like shell out thousands of dollars from my own bank account to pay for anything. 
Um, but in the worst case, I'll do that. You know what I mean? I'm fine with yeah. that trade-off of like, I just want to launch this and make it free and open source and amazing and see how well it does and then figure out the consequences later. Mm. Yeah, you are you're actually taking action first and, you know, just figuring things out. I think that mindset is really good because it, it gets you moving, right? Because you don't have to spend countless times or hours just thinking about, okay, what if, you know, what if, you know, what if you know, the scale thing? Like, I think scale is a good problem to have. Like, when you hit one million, like, of course, it's going to be like, oh, my, you know, but that that moment where, be like, one million folks want to use what I built, that's just amazing, right? And, of course, you could figure this thing out. This, it's not really, like, an unsolvable problem once you have it. It's a good problem to have. So, like, I like it that you, you, you fix it when it happened, not you thinking about it ahead of time, which will just make you just analyze too much and not really get much done i love it thanks yeah awesome so i was gonna ask so we are wrapping up really quickly um so one more question you know you so let's talk about ai just for like, like two minutes so do you see this stuff getting any cheaper going forward because i do know the models are, are very expensive so it's going to get expensive right, for both the builders and the users because, of course, you have to offset some of those costs to the users. So do you ever see this get uh, maybe GPU getting cheaper or I don't know, like what do you think about the cost going forward? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's ultimately going down, not necessarily because GPU costs are going down. It's because mm -hmm. the models are becoming more optimized. Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to run on less time. So, uh, for example, ControlNet, which is the API I'm using, uh, there was a variation that somebody made of it that was just, it did the same thing, but it was more optimized. And it was 25% cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I am seeing this stuff become cheaper and cheaper, uh, definitely, by the month. Cool. Yeah, that, definitely. Because that's going to make more people build on it, going to make it cheaper for the users as well as the builders. So they don't stress out with thousands of dollars bills <laughs> like you did exactly <laughs> yeah. yes awesome cool so yeah we are wrapping up so three more questions so first of all this one it's um you know you've been building this stuff and it you've never mentioned the front end the back end you just talk about the apps itself right so what is your view because i love the full stack developer i think you're a full stack developer so what is your view of the full stack developer or this solution of concern when it comes to like, you know, like an indie maker, like a builder that just want to build stuff? Like, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, um, I build stuff with Next.js and Vercel, right? Mm -hmm. I'm biased. I work at Vercel, right? Of but course. all my stuff is Next.js. And, and, and for me, that's the beauty of Next.js. It's a full stack framework, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can, my, my whole front end runs on Next.js, my whole back end runs on Next.js. And that's it. That's all I have to learn. I don't have to learn different frameworks. I don't have to deal with cores errors. I don't have to do any of that. I just write Next.js code, basically React code in my Next.js app. And then I make these API endpoints to call all these different machine learning APIs that I'm using. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I use Tailwind for my CSS library. I use TypeScript. Um, I, you know, just... Yeah. yeah, and then I, I just use Vercel for hosting, for analytics, for for serverless function, compute, all, all that good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. That's my stack. Again, like I advise people to use whatever stack they want, whatever stack they feel most comfortable with. Um, if you're starting from scratch and want a new recommendation, or if you're not happy with your current stack, highly recommend you check out Next.js. It's been it's been doing good for me so far. Um, 
but uh, that that's kind of how I think about tech stacks in general. It's just use what you know, and if you don't know what to use, you know, check out different recommendations that people have. I think oh. Peter Peter Levels is a, is a great example of this, where uh, he yeah. still writes in PHP and jQuery of yeah. all of his projects, and his projects make you know tens of thousands of dollars a month. Like he's see, this, the man's a millionaire, um, yeah. so he's uh, he's doing extremely good with legacy technology. So that that proves that like you can kind of use whatever you want, but um, at the same time, yeah, I, I do feel like Next.js has been a very, very productive framework for me for, for all of my projects. Yeah. Um, so, like, I feel when you, like, when you focus on giving value, like, just building your stuff, and you just, you know, get a stack that works for you, like, for your case, it's Next.js, and you've been, pro you've been proactively good with it, and it just lets you ship. That makes sense. So, like, I like something stable, something, like I said, boring, like, it, the idea is just like I want to build this stuff. If this if this tech enables me, then I'm gonna use it, right? So definitely, I love that. Um. So yeah, we. So lastly, what is your because this podcast got build businesses on JavaScript. So what is your advice to like you know a newbie builder on the web that want to get started building? Of course, from both for money and because of for, for passion or just a bit of both so what advice will you give to to those folks i mean my advice is just build just uh mm. just go and build stuff <laughs> and uh like a lot of people come to me and they're like yeah I, like i don't know what to build or like oh i built a project and nobody used it like you just have to build more things like you just progressively get better at building you know like i i've probably made like 40 side projects you can they're all on my github you can see mm -hmm. like repos starting at 2020 and nobody even touched my first 20 side projects they were just terrible you know looking back at them now they're terrible but when i did them i thought like this is amazing like this is the next huge app like everybody's gonna use this and um it just takes repetition you know your first 10, 10 your first 10 projects are gonna be horrible so just finish them you know and, and so just get started and, and build and use whatever tech you want and ideally build something that you care about, build something that you will use. Um, and, uh, and I, I think like nothing can go wrong. If you, if you spend, if you spend a year just building like 10 side projects, you're, you're just going to be a phenomenally better engineer. You're going to have some people that use it. You're going to have some level of credibility and, uh, it's just, yeah, you can't go mm. wrong with just building. You can't go wrong with just building. I love it. Yeah. So. Thank you. So we have two questions that are not tech questions. So what's one book you can recommend to the listeners, viewers, or I don't know, readers of this podcast? Yeah. Um, Atomic Habits is actually really cool. I think I have it on my shelf. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I have it over here, actually. So <laughs> Atomic mm -hmm. Habits, great book. Um, okay. Great book that I just highly recommend for people uh, to, to just become you know more productive and just get more stuff done. It's just around the idea of like, if you want to be really good at something, you have to make it a habit. And um, if you put in the work to make it a habit, it just becomes second nature. And so if you turn like, for example, if you put if you make like half an hour of coding every single morning, a habit, mm. like, it, it's gonna be hard in the beginning of the first month and the second month. But after that, it's like, you just you're gonna wake up and you're gonna code for half an hour every day. And, and you just exponentially get better at it and make make um, make progress in your side projects and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I love this book for just instilling mm. good things into your life. 
Yeah, I I have a copy of the book, but I haven't gotten to reading it yet. And I've been hearing great things about it, really. So I definitely have to get to it. Thank you for the recommendation. So finally, do you have a favorite TV show? Because with all this work you do, do you even watch TV more or Netflix? <laughs> I watch a lot of Netflix. Like I said, dude, really? I'm, I'm coding for a week. And then like for two weeks, man... I'm just binging Netflix shows and like hanging out with friends and doing That's sports. Do it. So I watch a lot of TV. I watch way too much TV. Um, <laughs> I really like the comedy, the comedy shows. So The Office is probably one of my all-time favorites. Okay. Friends, How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, and then some action ones like the the Blacklist um, oh, or Suits is a really good one. I love Suits. Too. Yeah, dude, I could. Nice, amazing. So you watch yeah. a lot of TV as well. Yes, we do. <laughs> guilty, guilty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yes, wow. sir. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm actually currently seeing a new series because Blacklist and Suits, there are a few movies I can live up to those two for some reason. They're just that good. The story is great. So I've seen yeah. the, the one, I think it's new on Netflix called You. I, I don't know if you heard of it. It's 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 kind of good. It. Yeah, it's kind of good. It, the story is good. It's, it's a little bit gloomy, but it's really good. The story is great. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could check that out for us Netflixers. <laughs> Builders and nice. Netflix. Nice. Cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like I literally, I have Netflix open on my tab. It's like a, <laughs> right next to this interview tab is Netflix. So <laughs> I'll check that out. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Go share there. You love it. So just give me feedback when you see it. So yeah, thank you so much, Hassan. I love this. Um, you actually opened up this podcast uh, newsletter slash whatever it is. I really love all your points, and um, I can't wait for folks to listen and actually learn to build businesses on JavaScript like you've been doing for a long time so thank you do you have any final words before yeah. we start it no i mean thank you so much i'm honored to be your, your first guest on these series and uh i don't think i have any parting words just go go build something and go have fun yeah definitely and if you all want to you know go check out hassan's projects and just i think the best place to find him is on twitter you could see over there at not look Right? How do you say that, really? I've been waiting to ask you. Yeah, Nutloaf, I guess. It's yeah. it's a weird gaming username from like 12 years ago that for <laughs> some reason I haven't changed You're stuck changed with yet. it. You're stuck uh, with so, it. yeah. It's fine. It's awesome. So, yeah, you go check him out on Twitter, yeah, you know. Yeah, go start his project. They're all open source. Please do that. And, yeah, thank you so much, Hassan. Thank you. You're amazing.